Welcome to the Rise Up Good Witch Podcast, a radical approach to herbalism, self-care, and the tarot. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 33rd episode of the Rise Up Good Witch Podcast. This is Karina. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I had an amazing conversation with Yelva Mara and Kiki from The Living Altar, and I can't wait to share it with you. And I want to get into that pretty quickly, but I have a couple of announcements. I'm currently on a semi-vacation, not completely. I'm still doing a lot of work, doing a lot of prep work to prepare for the apprenticeship, the Plant Witch Apprenticeship, which is less like an apprenticeship now because there are six people and it's more like a course that's very uh, interactive and collaborative. And I'm really excited. We'll be sharing a lot of work on the Patreon and they are going to be helping me to facilitate three upcoming new moon workshops. So stay tuned for that. And I also am going to be in Portland in my old home and I have a couple of spots open for folks who want to do an hour tarot reading with a little bit of like natal chart and astrological transit analysis. So if you're interested in that, um, I will be available next week, um, the week of August 26th. Just send me an email at therisenwitch at gmail.com or go to my website, www.riseupgoodwitch.com and there's like a form that you can enter and I can uh, get in touch with you that way. Right now I'm here in Humboldt County, Northern California, and I'm working with a lot of the plants that have grown a lot since I was here in June. As many of you know, I live in Joshua Tree and having a garden there is really difficult for many reasons, but I'm finding myself, because I don't have a dehydrator, having to preserve a lot of the plants that have Uh, grown a lot so I can use them for medicinal purposes throughout the winter since I won't be back up here in the Pacific Northwest until probably next summer. So I'm going to have like a ton of really basic blends and also a lot of new flower essences coming to the shop uh, next month in September. If you enjoy this podcast, a reminder that joining the, the Patreon keeps it sustainable For $5 a month, you get access to lots of extra content, plus a discount in the apothecary and on private appointments. So because of the growth of the Patreon, over the past five or six months, I've actually been able to give a donation to every person that I've interviewed, except for the tarot storytelling episodes. And this month, Elvamara and Kiki asked that their donation go to Real Rent Duwamish in Seattle. So this is only possible because of those of you who donate to the podcast. And it's really exciting that we're at episode 33. This is a magical number it's a third of the way to a hundred almost so i'd really invite you if you find these um if you find these conversations meaningful if they're helpful to you if you get something from them consider joining the patreon at only five dollars a month and keep this work sustainable i'm shooting for the stars here but my goal is to reach 200 patrons 
by the end of the year. That is my hope and my goal. So I have more or less about 50 more patrons that I'm hoping will join in these coming four or five months. So check it out. It's www.patreon.com slash riseupgoodwitch. And you don't even need to think of it so much as a donation, but more as an investment in your own learning. There is a lot that I share there and that I will share alongside my apprentices as well in terms of plant magic and tarot and also just my personal narrative and being able to be vulnerable. I want to say thank you to everyone that reached out after the last podcast, episode 32. It was a deep dive into my personal history, and it was a little bit of a shame spiral after that. But these things, sharing our story, being vulnerable, is part of collective growth and healing, and I'm happy to have folks support me in sharing that with y'all. So I want to say thank you, and I especially want to say thank you to the supporters of this podcast and the Patreon supporters. Please remember to rate and review the podcast if you enjoy it. It's uh, You can rate it and review it on iTunes, and that helps it to get more listeners who might resonate with this work. So thank you for listening, thanks for subscribing, and thanks to all of you who share and support this work. Without further ado, I'd love to bring you the folks from Living Altar. I'm here today talking with Yelva Mara and Kiki from Traditional Magic and Cunning Crow Apothecary. Welcome to the Rise Up Good Witch podcast, y'all. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm stoked. So do you both want to just, for folks that aren't aware of your work, talk a little bit about your projects, who you are, what you want folks to know about you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my name is Kiki um, Robinson. I go by Opulent Witch, and um, my pronouns are they, them, and she, her. Um, and a little bit about myself. Um, I am a practicing witch. <laughs> um, I um, do tarot and different energetic services, and I'm also an artist, um, mostly printmaking, um, and a photography, and I'm also a dancer. Um, and then, um, just a little bit about the Living Altar. Um, we started the Living Altar two, about almost two years ago, so it started with an oracle deck, and the creation of an oracle deck through the, um, the basis of being prints, lino cuts, and then it's kind of just expanded from there. And awesome. I'm, yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> I'm Ilva Mara, um, Ilva Droma, Marjana Rydzeszewski. I am the, I guess the, the creator of the Cunning Crow Apothecary um, and high priestess of our witch's temple. Um, I run the school of traditional magic and um, that's a, it's a it's a community witch based program where I train uh, folks to be practitioners of healing craft traditions um, rooted in 
traditional magic, elemental magic, ancestral forms of magic um, that folks will access on their own through our studies, um, through their own independent studies. We have community gatherings, we have resources for healing services to keeping one of the practitioners at the temple. Um, and we also provide services for um, like access to magic for sex workers, folks of color, uh, trans folks, genderqueer folks, non-binary folks, um, basically folks for whom healing services are hard to access. We have a monthly community clinic, but also all of our services at the temple are sliding scale. Um, so yeah, and then what else? The Living Altar, so we, Kiki and I have this program, or this program, we have this artistic, um, ritualistic offering that we have co-created with our spirits and ancestors and each other. And it's kind of evolved into this, um, not just a, a, an oracle deck or an art form, but it's also um, altar services and community witching. So yeah, we're really excited to share it. Amazing. Is this a new project that y'all are collaborating on? Well, we started the project um, in December of 2017. So it'll be two years in December. Um, and it started with um, just our, I, I would go to school at um, the traditional school of magic and um, I'm also a pr practitioner at the Crow. Um, and we kind of just started chatting and Ilva brought the idea to me of creating an Oracle deck and just coming from a printmaking background, um, we wanted to create the deck from like the base of lino cut prints. Um, so it's an Oracle deck that's also collaged upon. Um, there, each card is invoked as a spell. Um, and we spent a lot of time, <laughs> we spent like six months invoking them. Um, and then the project has really actually just expanded into an entire kind of experience. I don't even know what else <laughs> to call it. Um, but we started doing, we felt really called to do altar services starting last year for the purpose of collective liberation. Um, and the altar service is called, um, it's called altar services and resistance to the supremacies. So it's really about dismantling and banishing the systems of oppression from helping people banish them from their altars, their minds, their bodies, their, um, magic. their magic, and really assisting the collective in that way. Um, and then it's just kind of developed into this other, you know, like taking all these different routes, which has been really exciting. Um, we do art projects with other folks who are practitioners, who, and we create stories for them or create kind of like a healing experience for them through video and photography and storytelling. I love all of this. <laughs> and I feel like sometimes like I'm doing like on a side note, I'm kind of like dealing with my own imposter syndrome right now. And just like thinking about how much I say to people on my podcast, I love this and I love what you're doing. So then I'm like, is this not sincere? But like everything y'all are saying, I'm so into it. Like for, I mean, I always am, but anyway, I'm going to probably edit that out. This is an example. No. Um, but, uh, I wanted to clarify something because when I did the introduction, I said, um, cutting crow apothecary and traditional magic. So Yelva or Elva, is that your project? And, and Kiki, yeah. that's something that you're, you like 
kind of like gotten involved with, but your project is Opulent Witch. Yes, yes. Um, I go by Opulent Witch as like okay. my practitioner name. Um, but yeah, I go to school at the um, traditional school of magic. So um, I guess all in all, I've been there for about almost four years. Yeah. I started getting involved, and I'm about to complete the three year program. Wow, it's that's that's really amazing. Um, and I wanted to also give like some backstory because the reason that um, I like Yella, I talked to you about being on the podcast was like two people have reached out to me, and it might have actually been the same person, <laughs> but then the second time it was two people together on my Patreon who mm. have been like, You really need to have Yella Mara on your podcast. Oh so God. then I you know, we had been following each other on Instagram, but then mm -hmm. I started like reading um, your website and like about some of the things you did. And it, it seems like, um, and I actually, you had this, um, you had like this uh, story that you had on Instagram um, about Trump and fascism and white nationalism that was mm -hmm. so good that I like screenshotted it. <laughs> um, and uh you know, I think what it seems like from my perspective, and I've never been to your school, and I've, like, never been, I've, like, you know, haven't been to Seattle, really, in a long time, but it seems like the model which y'all are creating in that, um, like, in your work with the traditional magic school and with the way that you, like, directly fundraise for uh, folks um, with uh, housing insecurity and provide service for sex workers and provide service and like acknowledgement of like colonial harms and racism, systemic racism, like all of this is like, it feels like this is like the ideal structure for the way witchcraft should be operating. Thank you. That's so that's a sweet and powerful reflection. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm feeling is that there's, yeah. you know, and I'm wondering like about this model. Um, and I definitely want to talk like this living altar stuff and like using storytelling and printmaking. I mean, just like melding those aspects, like mm -hmm. all the aspects that y'all are melding together. But um, I'm curious about like how it's been like in your journey to this, you know, creating the school and Kiki also like that must be so amazing to be in the school for three years and see it transform. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of interested in like, you know, what was the process in starting this like community based like radical witchcraft community, you know, center? Oh my gosh, I think um, <laughs> I'm having I'm having feelings about it because you, you said earlier about imposter syndrome and I think that's something that I often struggle with for a lot of different reasons. But one of the things I think about when I hear that question is, are we doing enough? Like, what are we doing? What is the impact? I'm constantly assessing that. I also have a, a singleton Virgo sun, so I'm <laughs> born under a gibbous Aquarian moon, so I'm always contemplating these things. But um, I I feel like when, when you're in the middle of something, it's hard to see what's actually rippling out. And we we do so much work as a collective to provide what we hope is safer space for our community. And I think we're so like, not when I say we, I mean me, the practitioners, Kiki, um, our, our community members, we're, we're so invested in each other's success and wellness that I, I guess I don't often take time to pull out and reflect on 
the journey, but that's something I'm doing this summer. Like we're doing a lot of big changes with the apothecary. We're converting the apothecary in the temple into a single unit um, to provide more access for students and clients. More, we're going to start offering more hours for practitioner services and um, some more like um, specific classes. And I guess all that to say, um, the journey has been about trying to find a way to take all the invitations that I see happening in pop culture around magic and witchcraft now, and as it has been over the last few years, this sort of resurgence or renaissance, I suppose, of, of witching work, take all the invitations that are being created and then provide uh, community context for people to land in mm. and, and explore through that invitation. I think um, there's there's a lot of accessibility through social media, which is pretty awesome. And I started noticing a few years ago that there wasn't a lot of uh, safer spaces or even community access to help folks understand how to make use of those invitations for magic, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I started to teach. I also noticed that there's a lot over the, like through my studies and trying to figure out how to, um, I guess, refine my own practice. I've been in an apprenticeship since I was 15 years old with a teacher. She died three years ago, Jackie McCloskey. Mm -hmm. So I was in an apprenticeship for 19 years. And one of the things that she had asked me to do was to start teaching. And so in 2012, I did. And I didn't know, I didn't have a voice. I didn't know what to make of my craft. I didn't know how to articulate it. Um, I also had a lot of uh, settler colonialism uh, to work out. I had a lot of um, commitment to systemic oppression, white supremacy, ableism, um, transphobia to work out of my own system uh, through my craft. And I think what I learned in that process, and still always, right, we're, we're always doing that, um, and I think through that process, I, I was able to witness, I was able to, to witness community also stepping into their accountability. Um, and it just sort of grew as, as this beautiful collective experience um, through community and through the work, the witching work, community witching work, I was able to um, publicly transition in my gender expression. I was able to radicalize myself <laughs> through mm -hmm. the effort and work of community and provide platform and voice for that. And I think, um, I don't know, I, I guess I'm kind of rambling right now. I'm not really sure if I'm answering a question, but I, I, the, the process has been a lot of just listening to community, listening to self, um, sharing with one another, lifting each other up, and uh, particularly through the living altar work that Kiki and I are exploring, reclaiming our ancestral roots and connections and mm. bringing magic through diasporic identities um, and just starting to, to, to say like, okay, well, here's, here's what we've got. Here's what we're working with. And uh, you know, my whole goal, I think, is to help folks remember their magic as it is now, and less about reconstructing, less about revising the past, but more about bringing its potency present. You know, we're living in a crumbling world and and like what's gonna happen to us is what's gonna happen to us. And my goal at this point is to like resource magic in the collective so that if and when, you know, we ever come back to this planet, <laughs> um, <laughs> that we are born remembering, you know, like we are in a mass extinction. And so we can't, you know, we can't deny that. 
don't know, it seems fatalistic, but. Um, I'm right there with, that's so amazing, right there with you, yeah. <laughs> so anyhow, yeah, the, I feel like the Cunning Crow Apothecary and the Teaching Temple, the Witch's Temple in particular, I just wanted to have a space where people could arrive to their craft, arrive to their altar, arrive to themselves and have a safer sacred space to be honest with themselves and honest with each other and, and bring connection across um, faults and perceived differences and through, um, through those um, uh, connections grow in a, in a deeper way together. Um, I think magic is really wanting to be reborn in the world, not reborn, that seems oof, a little bit uh, <laughs> triggering language, but I think magic wants to rise again. And, mm. and I think that we don't have a lot of models or systems to help us understand how to do that. And the ones that we do have are so rooted in um, white supremacy or so rooted in, in, uh, cis -cis normative patriarchy or so rooted in, um, classism and, uh, that is hard to access. And I just thought, wow, what if we had a place where there's a, there's a, uh, elemental model of learning. There's a common cosmology of connection to source and an invitation for ancestors from all traditions to arrive and and reclaim their children. And because we don't follow a denominational approach to our craft at the temple, and we have lots of different teachers from lots of different traditions that that will um, come in and share magic with us and share teachings with us. And you know, the, the goal is to empower everyone to reach into their own ancestry and call that power forward, even if they don't necessarily know who those ancestors are, either through adoption or diaspora, like Kiki and I, or mm. um, uh, through disconnect, through white supremacy, through settler colonialism. And yeah, I mean, just like provide safety for everyone to share among among community, the beauty of that, of, that, of their connections, their emerging connections and, you know, helping folks remember that there's innate magic inside of us, you know, that there's historic context for the feelings that we're having, that there's, intergenerational context for the struggles that we are experiencing and that there are ways to account for that and tend to that. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do it alone. Anyhow. Yeah. So Kiki, so about that. <laughs> no, that was, like, I, I loved all of that. Um, Kiki, did you want to add anything before I say anything? Yeah, I, well, I was just thinking about just having gone through the program and through the school and something I remember from early on from beginning the program um, that Ilva actually said was um, the work of the witch is to disrupt. And I feel like that's a really awesome value system that is at the temple um, that really has aligned with my value system as a witch and a practitioner um, just because it really brings home, I feel like the idea that like, that is our work. And if we're not doing that, like, what are we doing? You know, if we're not dismantling, if we're not, um, working to tear down the systems that seek to oppress us, like, what is our goal? I think I see a lot of, um, I do see a lot of spiritual by bypassing, um, in, um, magic slash spiritual realms in, 
um, the kind of the common collective. Um, and, you know, it, it does bring into the question of, um, you know, how are we working to, yeah, disrupt those systems that um, are oppressive, you know? And I think that's also like a thorough line of the living altar too. It's um, uh, an intention of liberation. Mm-hmm. And like to disrupt it, not only in culture, but 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 first and foremost within ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's like a, a powerful yeah. tenet, particularly of the living mm-hmm. altar, is that Kiki and I, in crafting this, yeah, the, like not even that we crafted it, like it, it just it 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 uh, it is a very domineering <laughs> uh, entity project. <laughs> I, I feel like I can't even take credit for some no, of it because exactly. like, I'm like, it's just like the ancestors like mm. overriding everything and being like, yes. this is what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually what we're doing now. <laughs> yeah, sweetie. <laughs> it's like, um, we had to go through these, like when we, just as an example, when we crafted these spells for the deck, and when we move through the altar services in, in, in support of community, when we engage our community witch and our community witching work and that responsibility through the living altar, we also are going through those, those spells. They're going through us. We are, we are disrupting our own identities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We are disrupting our own, you know, I'm a chronically ill, disabled, trans, non-binary uh, witch uh, of diasporic, lineage and I'm white and I'm white uh, and it's like these these systems have to they live inside of us no matter mm-hmm. what our identities and so as witches mm-hmm. we're to do any work effectively we have to first mm-hmm. apply that uh, craft to ourselves and and re- reclaim our integrity mm-hmm. so. yes everything I'm like there's so many questions I'm like smiling I feel like I like <laughs> I feel like y'all are a tincture of medicine that's like so healing and potent that I just took. I just love this dialogue. Um, And it's so true, you know, and that's something like I've really been centering in my work is like, you know, we really have to acknowledge our harms and acknowledge the ways that we perpetuate like um, old harmful cycles. And it's interesting because when you're talking about ancestor work, and that's something that I've been doing a lot in the last couple of years, but I've kind of hit this roadblock uh, because I do have ancestors that were, you know, like direct colonized, like from mm-hmm. England, like colonizers. I have ancestors that were slave owners. And, um, you know, sometimes I'm like, I don't, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing to like think about those harmful ancestors mm-hmm. and like how to kind of like right the wrongs that they committed, which really like realistically isn't really a hundred percent possible, but you know, to an extent. So I'm wondering about, that's like one of the first questions that I have of many from this conversation, but when you're doing ancestor work, that pain is going to come up. We're not just going to be like my, I had like an aunt three generations back who like, you know, whatever, like it's, mm-hmm. there's going to be like some real shitty people, especially if you, um, you know, if you're a white person or you have ancestors that were caught, you know, from England and were direct colonizers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also, just, it's like kind of, it's like having a hard conversation, you know, um, and maybe that hard, those hard conversations have to have many, had, we had many times. Um, I mean, I think it's just like the inventory of doing that work that feels 
it's like just having a it's like having a hard conversation in this realm you know mm -hmm. um that's how i kind of see it and then being like okay well what will get me into honest relationship with my magic mm -hmm. what's going to get me in honest relationship with my altar mm -hmm. and doing that ancestor work is it feels so necessary um and yeah some i feel like there's many different you know a lot of us come from different you know lineages so it's just kind of like taking it one step at a time sometimes mm -hmm. i like the idea of creating space like kiki's talking about creating an invitation and and then how do you tend to that invitation and i think sometimes it's hard for us we don't we aren't we aren't taught we're actually taught to avoid direct communication in our common culture and we're taught to avoid accountability and we're taught that um, any kind of disagreement is er like an irreconcilable conflict. And that's all, that's all supremacy culture. That's white supremacy mm -hmm. colonialism and, mm -hmm. and it affects everybody. And, um, and it causes harm through those who benefit from these, the existence of those systems. And so when we start to create those invitations and welcome those ancestors in that, that discomfort is something we have to draw on, I think. And um, I can't really speak to that specifically. Like I don't, like there are, there, are, there are ancestors in my lineages who are colonizers of other ancestors in my lineages. And that's something that's really um, fascinating to hold space for uh, mm. because it lives inside of mm. the body and there's also all the intergenerational pain i don't necessarily think that there's an answer for it except to to be yeah. present to it and to to deepen in the invitation and and not hide from those those roots i mean they exist it's like um it, maybe this is a very slavic way of looking at it but it's like like it or not, those are your ancestors. What are you going to do? Like, mm. you know, it's like, yeah, you might not choose them and they might not choose you, but you're still invited to the same party. You know, yeah. <laughs> you're living in the same house. Well, like I've been trying to break down the idea of perfectionism, mm. that it's like a, it's like perfectionism. Like, I don't know what else to call it, but like a program or like a thought form from mm. those greater systems. And like, it doesn't have to be perfect, right. you know? And like, get you know, really like kind of disrupting that idea of perfectionism mm -hmm. is actually getting into a better and like more honest relationship yeah. with yourself and your magic and your ancestors yeah. mm -hmm. it can feel messy yeah. <laughs> it can feel awkward it can feel there's going to be tension mm -hmm. and that's okay mm -hmm. yeah i mean honesty is the first i mean honesty and trust and truth i mean these are the building box blocks of 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 deep magic and mm -hmm. you know you can have love in your heart but that ain't enough right, you know if, if you're, you're not, not a person yeah if you're not in integrity i think about that a lot like if you're not in integrity with your work like what do you got right mm -hmm. and if, you, if you aren't in a relationship with your actual values and you're mm -hmm. operating out of a different value system then you're never going to be in integrity and and that's that's Mm -hmm. this idea of perfection that Kiki's talking about I mean that just it feels so that feels so liberating in itself where you're like well I I cause harm like whether mm -hmm. or not to admit it like I as a white person uh of mixed lineage like I cause harm 
in my presence. And that's something mm -hmm. to be aware of, be accountable to, mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, work that shit out. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I kind of just felt called to ask that. I know it's like a super difficult question because, and there really, a lot of these questions, there are no answers. It's, and it kind of made me think about something y'all were talking about, um, which I was thinking about the seven of pentacles in tarot mm -hmm. and this idea of where, and, and something I think about a lot of my own work is like that, that, um, striking a balance sort of between action and process when it comes to like addressing harms accountability like looking at how you could do things differently but also just like showing up because we don't like at like yelva you said like we're kind of in mass extinction right now so it's like i can't you know that's it's not really that productive to sit around and think about everything that you did that you could have done differently and loathe in your own self you know like just like be really um you know ruminating in it all the time like you have to kind of strike that balance between process and action and like getting out there and mm -hmm. i think we also live in this world like you know in capitalism in you know this post-colonial like white supremacist world that really encourages like yeah we are not supposed to say if we made a mistake we're not mm -hmm. supposed to talk about um you know the ways that we've evolved and to me, like in my work, that's like absolutely counterintuitive because that I think it's the evolution of people that is the only thing that we have that is like the possible, the po it's the only possibility we have to like continue on as humans on this planet as is, is to like embrace the process and embrace the transformation. So if we continue to be like, nope, I made a mistake, I'm going to delete that. I'm going to move on. I'm, you know, that's not respecting the process. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, I have so many things I want to say. <laughs> One of the things I want to say is like that, that I don't, we keep talking about the living altar, but it's also like the thing that, that we're like working on the hardest right now. But part of the living altar is that everything we did, except for a few like, um, weird, like late night edits that we had to make because like we carved things backwards, but um, like everything is first draw. It's like, this is the sketch we made. This is the first cut of it. We're not fixing it. This is the first uh, max uh, mixing of the colors. Like this is like everything we did in the living altar, except for the digital rendering of the layers was unedited. Mm -hmm. And we wanted that because we wanted to do that because it's part of our work also. We, Kiki and I are, I think, are, are pretty unedited and uncensored individuals mm -hmm. um, as, as much as we can be um, in our common social media driven mm -hmm. culture. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I really, I love that idea of just like unedited, uncensored witchcraft and, and allowing the learning process. I also wanted to say like, we have to also be honest, like why are we in the midst of a mass extinction right now? Mm -hmm. You know, like this is not, this isn't just, uh, it's not just a for funsy kind of thing the earth is going through. Like mm -hmm. we are in a mass extinction because of white supremacist settler colonialism and superiority. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And I would even argue that we're not, we're not even in a post-capitalistic or post-colonialistic uh, mm -hmm. culture. Like we are still in, we are in it. We are having mm -hmm. to process the death of it and the, Im the implications, the repercussions. Like we're not out yet. Like this is still part of it. This is what mm -hmm. it's like, we're not done. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
this is colonialism. This is what we're like our what we're facing, what we're navigating now, what we are as witches especially are trying to like I guess I'm gonna say seed save quote unquote for and also actual seed save for is is a result, a direct result of settler colonialism, white supremacy, and hierarchical, uh, capitalistic driven um, uh, cultural genocide. Like this is the implications. Mm -hmm. So we, we aren't post yet. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that. I have been saying post-colonial and it always feels wrong to me, but what I'm, I kind of like think a lot about how colonialism sort of like laid the groundwork for things like globalization and free right. trade which like have right. further you know have further informed these like racist border policies mm -hmm. that we're dealing with so i kind of think of it when i say but i know that like actually in the direct meaning of post-colonial that's not what it means mm -hmm. so i probably just should say colonialism because i'm more thinking like yeah globalization mm -hmm. is the new is a manifestation of colonialism etc mm -hmm. um, yeah it's like how white supremacy is the the, the grandparent of ableism mm -hmm. of capitalism of mm -hmm. patriarchy of cis-centrism mm -hmm. mm -hmm. like these layers so it seems like with the living altar y'all are really creating something that's about um is it is it sort of like you're creating something that's really about self-reflection kind of like the process within the action um so i would say yes um so the oracle deck itself was created as a teaching tool it's based off the witch's wheel um, and so it was, it was created as a teaching tool, but also for like the beginning witch, um, to the established practitioner slash reader to use on its own, um, as spell work or as, um, you know, in conjunction with like other divination tools, um, like tarot cards, pendulums, etc. Um, so yeah, I would say like it's also used as a self-reflection tool. Um, we are also in process of creating a workbook too. Mm -hmm. To um, so each card, it's we didn't even like plan it this way, but like there, there just ha so happens that each card will like be for one week out of the year. Mm -hmm. So for each card, you know, in the workbook, you can spend like one week in reflection for each card. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's also, um, like I was saying, um, used as spell work because each card is a spell. Mm -hmm. um, so you can use it in that way to activate, to um, use within your spell work and ritual work, and then each card will have a ritual with it. Mm -hmm. Wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah, and I think the as a tutelary tool... Um, the living altar helps us because it's based off of the witch's wheel. It helps us orient to our place in the order of things and not like to put us in our place, like <laughs> in a hierarchical way, but to say, here's where you are in your process. And here's the potential impact because of these other connections, these other thoroughfares, these other, uh, what's the word, uh, correspondences. Mm -hmm. And so it's a way of not only assessing the impact of circumstances on us, but our impact mm. on circumstances as a result of what mm. we're going through. So in that, I think it 
promotes a lot of self-reflection and also the ritual services that we offer mm-hmm. um, for folks. It gives people an opportunity to um, receive energetic support through mm-hmm. different things they're going through. And the way we center the ritual services is through banishing overshadowing energies and oppressive systems from people's mm-hmm. altars so that they can get some space to reflect. We do mm-hmm. cord cutting so that they can get some some of their own energy back mm-hmm. to, to mean more more sovereignty. Um, and the, the art pieces, the installations that we're making, the video mixed media um, uh, pieces that we're co-producing with Spirit and <laughs> other artists, it gives people an opportunity to reflect on the power of their own lived experiences as they're bringing forward their stories, their poetry, mm-hmm. their art, their performance. And then we, we, when we see them all together, as we're building them together, we start to see an overarching narrative that people can really start to, to find, um, I want to say camaraderie, community through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, yeah, like it is, a, it is, the living altar is, it is a reflective tool. Mm-hmm. So how is, I'm, I'm curious because I know that you all are doing like donations to, is it, is it Duwamish? Is that the way you say it? Yeah. Oh, Duwamish. We do, we do Real- donations to Real Rent Duwamish, which is a, uh, it's to the Duwamish tribe who are the, um, the original tribe from Seattle, from mm-hmm. the, what we now call Seattle. So um, it's a way to pay rent on the land here mm-hmm. to, uh, directly to the tribe. Oh, okay. Okay. So that's because we're going to do, I'm going to do a donation to that today for this podcast. Thanks to the amazing. Yeah. Thanks to my patrons who make it possible for me to donate to guests. And so that, you know, so that's not like a housing insecurity. That's actually just like reparations to the people who are indigenous to that land. Yeah. Yeah, So Guamish is a collaboration between uh, Car W, which I always forget what Car W stands for, uh, Coalition of Anti-Racist Whites. Mm -hmm. Is that what it stands for? Yeah. And um, the Duwamish Longhouse and Duwamish Tribal Services. And all of the money that goes into Roban Duwamish goes directly to Duwamish Tribal Services to support the Longhouse, to support their uh, fight for federal recognition. They've been denied multiple times in the last 50 years, 100 years. Uh, they, they are not recognized federally as, a, as an actual um, self-governing um, uh, community of mm-hmm. people. Um, so basically, they're, just, they're, they're facing federal erasure constantly. And so it support all that money goes to support um, their the federal legal um, aid as well as help them um, fund the tribal longhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's such an amazing model that, and I think it's a model that all healers need to be taking, like especially white healers. Um, I feel like giving a percentage of profits from healing work to um indigenous folks to bipoc communities um to support like you know the the folks that are being like the most 
uh, affected basically by like white supremacist patriarchy and late stage capitalism. Um, and I'm really curious about, and we kind of talked about that, but like how you create like um, a model working in your, um, is it a collective? Like, would you call the, uh, the school and the apothecary like a collective or not? <laughs> I think like, <laughs> Mm, yes and no like we keep trying and it's it's mm -hmm. I, I i think that i i in community default sometimes to me being mama mm -hmm. and um currently the the effort is to create a cooperative for the temple um through mm -hmm. equal support among practitioners and community members but we do um we do uh listen to the community and we also invite other folks in to provide services and teaching so it's it, it's not one voice all the time mm -hmm. yeah absolutely that's real i feel like there's a a glamour to like the idea of being in a collective and like forming a collective and it's really hard work, which is mm -hmm. a reflection of everything we're talking about, like about, in, uh, you know, internalized oppression. Um, but um, yeah, like that's, you know, that's a, that's a real struggle. But um, I'm curious just because like, it seems like a lot of what y'all do just from what I've read and what I've heard is that you make sure that you're like making services accessible. You also um, are, donating money but then how does that work like how do you strike that balance between that and also like surviving in capitalism and like taking care of yourself <laughs> <laughs> that's literally uh, the concept right? like yeah. Uh, yeah i'm i've been really struggling with that this year actually mm -hmm. just kind of getting deeper into my practice um, I've had to make a lot of adjustments. I guess I'll just, yeah, speak from <laughs> personal experience. Um, I used to do everything on a sliding scale, like everything I did for mm -hmm. <laughs> And I really kind of learned through this year that like actually it wasn't really working. <laughs> and um, to just like put it in, I guess, just like blunt terms, like people weren't being honest about like the sliding scale and where they fell on the sliding scale. And like, it's hard because I'm like, I never want to make those decisions for someone. So I just, I shift, I, it's kind of a constant shifting of the model. So I feel like just what I've shifted towards and also what I think we've shifted towards in like the living altar and like maybe, maybe I, I don't want to speak for the community, but like what I noticed the community shifting towards is like kind of just being like, okay, my sliding scale is for marginalized folks. Um, uh, you know, I just kind of made it for queer, trans, BIPOC, sex workers, you know, um, a more directed it there, um, and which are the communities I am, I'm invested in and I'm for. So, you know, it's kind of this constant struggle. I also have like other jobs so, <laughs> just to be real honest like I I'm a dancer um so I work at a club like that kind of really supplies a lot of my bread and butter mm -hmm. um you know I pick up shifts at like a bar and a restaurant so yeah it's like a constant hustle mm -hmm. just to be honest <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think that the only witches in modern in our modern culture who are afforded the 
the privilege of not having to hustle are those who benefit directly from the systems we're trying to abolish mm. and not abolish rather, but to, to dismantle, mm. be accountable to those words. But, um, mm. and I think something that I noticed with the Cunning Crow is that a few years ago, we started to even radicalize within our politics through the shop and through the temple. I used to try to keep things as separate because I didn't want anybody to feel alienated, but I, I bought into, you know, trying to make everyone feel comfortable, but that actually just means like letting cishet white people feel comfortable doing whatever they want mm -hmm. and not having to examine things, including my own um, ties into those systems. And once we started to do that, we noticed that there was about a 30 to 40% drop in uh, revenue and the community shifted beautifully. Like it was like, oh, like here's our sex workers and our, our siblings and our, mm -hmm. Like we, we, like we were able to, to, to really breathe again in this space, but then supporting the space when you have a, when you have a collective of otherwise culturally marginalized people um, trying to provide services and care for each other, it's a lot of just uh, bartering, trade, exchange. And one of the things that I think that we are unabashed about is for the, through the Living Altar is that we say very specifically, mm -hmm. our Living Altar services are free to folks who are made most vulnerable by systemic oppression. And we ask cishet white folks to donate, to fund the, the altar services. And there are people who have regular monthly donations to help us. You know, when we pause the services, they pause their donations, but um, which feels fair. And, but but it's, it's just about redistributing uh, resources. And I think something that I, I, I struggle with a lot within spiritual community is that folks will say, oh, you aren't supposed to charge for your work. And I, I hear that when we think about quote, traditional ways of practicing, there's a way that people would take care of their healers in traditional cultures that we don't actually respect in, in present day capitalistic colonialism. And so it, that doesn't work for most mm -hmm. people. You can't just say, oh, mm -hmm. we're bringing a chicken and and I'll do the service for you. It takes it takes a week of my time and energy. Yeah. We don't have that. And, and honestly, it's not a cultural taboo for me as a Slavic person. It's not a cultural taboo mm -hmm. for me as somebody who's uh, of also diasporic Romani descent. Like it's not a taboo mm -hmm. for me to say, give me money. <laughs> mm -hmm. By our ancestors, like right. coming, like and myself coming from the Romani diaspora, like it was used as my like my ancestors used it as a trade, as right. a way to survive. You know, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I think like that conversation is like, well, for me, I you know, like, mm -hmm. yeah, my, my, hey, yeah, are, yeah my, um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess this was used as a way to survive and to, um, to be financially mm -hmm. funded or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, whatever way that was. And I think, yeah, and it's important that particularly those witches and those practitioners in the community who are. I think struggling against these systems who would see us starve and destroyed and who, who are struggling against um, uh, even self-sufficiency, like don't buy into that. Like you, you get to charge with what you need to survive. Like we have to be honest mm -hmm. about what it takes mm -hmm. to survive in this world. And we have to be honest about what we have and what we don't have, and we have to mm -hmm. be honest in what we are willing to resource and what we aren't willing to resource and take account for those um, 
either external or internal um, uh, blockages to sharing resource. And so one of the ways that we do that is we just say, well, here's our sliding scale. You can take advantage of it if these are the things that you're doing. Like Kiki and I talk about this a lot where it's like most of the people who pay us full rate mm-hmm. are people within our immediate communities who are, who are, who represent who we are also as people. And the ones who take advantage of the sliding scale are often people who don't need to take advantage of the sliding scale. <laughs> we'll just say it that way. And yep. We're trying really hard to create, I think, a, a model of accountability in that. Thank you for that. I definitely have had similar experience with a sliding scale. And I've been having a lot of really good conversations lately with folks about like how to be an anti-capitalist in your business model and how that's you know, like when people are like, I thought you weren't a capitalist. Why are you trying? You know, it's like, well, I live in capitalism. I'm paying rent to some asshole baby boomer. You know, like I have to make my rent and like hopefully pay my like debts, you know, every Mm -hmm. month. So it's like you can have an anti-capitalist framework for looking at things, but the way that you apply it is really important and it's not easy and it takes a lot of processing again. So I like, you know, I, I think it's good to talk about the fact that people take advantage of the sliding scale because, you know, yeah, every time I felt like someone has tried to pay less than, you know, every time it's the same as what you're saying. It's like, it's always someone who could pay me what I'm asking. Um, I've had that experience. I've had people be like, I can't afford to pay you that have way more resources than I do. Um, but the people that like are in your, you know, working class queer people or whatever, like people in your community, they're like, I want to give you money. Like, you know, and that's kind of like, like, yeah, it's like the magic. I think of like the, the like anti-capitalist like barter economy, which is rooted in witchcraft. Like you were talking, you were both talking about. So um, I think it's just like a really important conversation to have that I was super curious how that works for y'all. I think too, like, let's be honest about the value of an individual's uh, skill sets. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, a lot of what mm-hmm. I will get paid is in trade services for clients. I also have like three hustles that I do, you know, as a professional dom and sex worker, as an herbalist, as a healer, as a teacher, as a raider, um, like that we're always working to, to hustle our, our trades. But I, I think that it's also important to acknowledge that we are of value outside of financial, uh, our financial abilities and um, in, in capitalist privilege. And like there are students who, trade me photography work or who trade me, you know, videography work for my side hustle and sex work. There's people who trade me for dog walking and, you know, and I think Kiki's like similar, right? Like we, mm-hmm. we will work on yeah. trade with folks who mm-hmm. have skill sets to share because that's also of value. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. I always see it too as like, it's like you're creating relationship mm-hmm. um, and feeding and nurturing relationship within community. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing more valuable than that. Yeah. I mean, of course, pay our bills, but also like, wow, if, if something happens mm-hmm. to something, yeah. and we haven't nurtured the value of community, mm-hmm. then what? Well, I think about like, okay, well, we're in the tower times. Mm-hmm. Like what happens, what's going to happen when these systems do collapse? What mm-hmm. will happen when no- money means nothing? Right. Mm-hmm. And have we worked to honor and nourish and nurture 
our ability to be relating to others. Like, have we have we valued relatability? Have we have we valued genuine connection and mm -hmm. and not forced intimacy? Like, there's a there's a there's a movement of intimacy within collective culture that I'm like, I don't I don't quite I don't know that it's helpful to um, to assume intimacy with another person because you share an identity <laughs> and you're losing the necessary skills mm -hmm. of conflict resolution <laughs> through assuming intimacy and avoiding intimacy. So it's mm -hmm. like people throw themselves too deeply into intimacy with others. I'm like, oh, where's your boundaries, babe? <laughs> mm -hmm. To avoid it, I'm like, oh, where's your boundaries, babe? <laughs> That's just a little bit of a tangent, but... Um, I also like think about something that just Mina Vontila, who's a Sinti Romani activist, says, you know, she says that her grandmother taught her that there's things that there's things that are just for family and there's things that are for sale. And I think that the things that are just mm -hmm. for family is what Kiki and I are talking about, mm -hmm. where it's like we will we will trade these things, we will nourish community, we'll we will resource ourselves within collective. And then there are things that are for sale because you know what? We live within capitalism. Mm -hmm. And knowing the difference is important. Like what mm -hmm. What will, what is for sale and what isn't for sale? And you have to have your boundaries. You know, like I have, I have medical bills, you know, I've got a rent to pay, I've got a business mm -hmm. to run, I've got communities to support. Like it's mm -hmm. not just um, Kiki and I are getting money. It's like when we get paid, we're able to support those community members that, that really rely on us to be able to do the work that we're doing. Yes, definitely. Thank you. And actually, that kind of, ties into a question that I have that's like another it's probably another like long existential like but you know when we're talking about like mass extinction we're talking about working through you know everybody's working through their own trauma everybody's working through their own shit on a daily basis and we're just trying to like make it through the day without triggering each other and without you know you know just like being really mindful and something that I've been thinking about in radical healing spaces and in queer spaces and in anarchist spaces and stuff is like, how do we, what happens? <laughs> this is so existential. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> what do we do? Or like, what, what do y'all feel about dealing with feelings of disconnection? And, you know, cause you brought up intimacy, like the inability, feeling the inability to connect, feeling the inability to trust and how, you know, like Adrienne Marie Brown talks about that a lot and it really resonates. Like we only can heal as, and work collectively when we can build trust and trust takes time. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, uh, I know. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. I did no. this 52 minutes into the interview too, but it just came up. Like, what is, you know, what are tools for connection? What are tools for moving, you know, being able to trust one another? Do you want to start? Say, yeah. Okay. So it's something I've actually been thinking about the last couple of years <laughs> um, is that trust. I always think about how trust comes from within. Like it never really comes from, you know, like it, it can come from building relationship, from building intimacy. But like, I Others. think of the questions of like, do you trust yourself? Like, how do you trust yourself? Like, how do you build trust with yourself and your spirits and your relationship with your spirits? Um, and I think it, that's like, for me, that's really where it starts. Like, okay, if something, if there's conflict, you know, how do I trust myself in that process? Mm -hmm. 
and then inevitably that creates trust within with others mm-hmm. and with community with intimate relationships with friendships and creative creative relationships too because if you don't trust yourself like how how are you going to trust others that's kind of where i'm at i feel that so deeply um i also think like oh it was it laloba shares they wrote something maybe a year ago where it was like they were commenting about um, yet another cishet white woman stealing Central American medicines. Mm. And they were like, can you feed the hunger of your own colonial soul? Mm. And however they wrote verdict. And I think so much about that. And it's something that I, I think is present in the spirit of our common culture, quote unquote, whether or not we consent to it, whether or not it's something we buy into or whatever. Um, but it's something that we benefit from, I suppose, and one way or another, this collective culture. But I'm rambling, but I think that there is a there's a soul hunger inside of us. And I think that until we're able to address where that comes from. And I think for folks who are of diasporic culture, we know where it comes from. I think mm-hmm. um, folks who experience um, ancestral genocide, um, we know where that comes from. Folks who experience um, colonialization and the, the, the raping of our resources and culture, they know where it comes from. Um, I mean, even as people who are um, assimilated, like Kiki and I are assimilated, Gaja raised Romani ancestral descendants, we are descendants of diaspora. And like we're reclaiming our traditions as best as we are able to. And you know, I've been reflecting on this a lot where I see a lot of people, a lot of Roma activists who are raised in culture, um, they're like, you know, do do people not of Romani descent even get to practice uh, aspects of fortune telling? Mm-hmm. Do people of Romani mm-hmm. actually get to practice palmistry or forms of divination, tarot reading, scrying? Mm-hmm. And that's something that I'm like, wow, that's really interesting. And it's like, people find so much connection through these resources without even thinking about where they come from and, and or doing the hard work of finding connection to the spiritual resources and tools of their own cultural identities. And I think until we are able to start doing that as a collective practice, until we're able to start doing that as a, as a, as a community practice, supporting each other and doing that we're not going to be fed we're not going to feel satiated mm. and that that satiation i think we'll always hunger for connection and then we're going to begin to force intimacy we're going to be we're going to continue to assume intimacy or we're going to continue to create division and i'm i'm all about creating um isolated and exclusive spaces for people who don't have access to safe spaces like i'm all about that like I want just a collective of trans people just talking about trans, you know, <laughs> I really want that. Um, that also think it's important. And that's something I think that happens at the temple. And it's something that I think we're hoping to do with the living altar is create a space where it's sort of like a council process. Mm-hmm. And there is a seat that is safe for everyone around that space to then begin to help uh, build a collective meal, so to speak. Mm-hmm. As we want and as we are able to share. Uh, 
Amazing. Thank you both for that reflection. That was, and thank you for referencing Loba because I remember that meme. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, so I guess, cause we're kind of like um, getting close to an hour now and we've talked about so many amazing things. I wanted to just check in and see if there's anything else that y'all wanted to say, like, you know, anything you wanted to share that we haven't talked about yet. Do you want to talk about the really good news that just happened the other day when you went to that meeting? Or is that not something that you want to have posted on the podcast? <laughs> oh, okay. I guess we'll talk about it. Yeah. Um, this is kind of, it's like not directly related, but I guess it's related. Totally related. Um, it's totally related. Mm -hmm. um, I've been part of, I, I've been dancing um, for on and off like a decade. Um, I worked at the Lusty Lady right after it became unionized um, uh, in Seattle as a peep show um, that was unionized in the late 90s. Um, and then I've started just in the last couple of years dancing again. Um, I've been part of a um, organizing um, for a group of us, a group of strippers in Seattle. And we just passed a, a law in Seattle for better, um, just better dancers rights and health and safety um and then we're continuing that organizing we just actually had a meeting at patty murray's office in seattle so um there's just been a lot of really cool organizing that's been happening we've been working with workers of washington um uh, which is an organization here to really uh, advocate for the rights of dancers here and sex workers as well. Yeah, that's amazing. Yay, congratulations. It's been a lot of really cool stuff happening. It's been getting a lot of coverage and national coverage um, just because it's like, it's very much needed. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty dire here. Mm -hmm. um, and um, in the in the realm of like safety and health and um, just overall rights for for workers here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And rooting wow. in decriminalization, which is important. Yeah. Wow, you guys no. are y'all are not you guys. Y'all are so amazing. You you, you you both have so many like interesting and important things that you're doing and I'm really excited to talk to you and I'm like I think we should definitely do a follow-up episode um at some point um but where can folks find y'all and your work and maybe learn about living altar is that something that's coming out in the next couple months yeah we're working on launching the kickstarter so we've just been we've been wrapping up some filming for our videos um and we're hoping to launch in the next month. Mm -hmm. um, but you can find The Living Altar on Instagram. Um, and that's where we post about all of our ritual services and all the updates. Um, so it's at living, The Living Altar. Um, yeah, we really try to like, yeah, try to post ahead of time about mm -hmm. our ritual services. We have our, we took a break and now we have another one coming up on Monday. Um, for uh, collective liberation and a cord cutting for uh, between us as individuals and then those that represent us on political platforms. Mm -hmm. um, and then cord cutting in general mm -hmm. is a way of reclaiming mm -hmm. power and sovereignty. You can find uh, Kiki's work on Instagram at Opulent Witch 
and you can find my work on Instagram at School of Traditional Magic, um, or also at Cunning Crow Apothecary. Um, and then something I wanted to say really quick, um, I'm, I know I'm pretty chatty, but uh, the I hear a lot of folks, a lot of students and a lot of witches will contact us and ask how do they do, how do they do community witching work? And I think something important to make note of is that no matter what we do as witches, if we are first pri if we are first prioritizing an honest and authentic relationship with ourselves and our ancestors and our spirits, that's a that's a that's a priority. You have to mm. root yourself in uh, in yourself and get real clear and real honest, like Kiki was saying earlier in our conversation. And the other part of it is like, can we stop, please, focusing on um, on can we please stop focusing our magic on on the perpetrators of violence? Can we stop mm. prioritizing them in our efforts? And can we start to regroup ourselves and begin to refocus our priority on uplifting and empowering those who are made to feel victim and made victims by these people? Like, yes, of course, banish the fucking president, but why could we, or why are we mm. texting and binding these people to us? rather than banishing them, breaking their staff, and then lifting up our communities. So everything that we do, can we please also begin to provide empowerment ritual, empowerment services, cord cutting services, banishing services, um, to the intent or banishing intentions to even our tarot card readings, our podcasts, our prayers every day. And I think mm -hmm. that there's something very important about, of course, uh, witching combat, like, of course, like learn your, your learn your hex craft, learn your, your your binding, but also do it responsibly. Something Kiki and I teach through our services is that you have to you have to first protect yourselves, protect your communities, uh, cleanse yourselves, cleanse your communities, cut cords with these systems, cut cords with these people first, banish them next, then bind them to themselves break their authority over you and then hex them. Come on, people. <laughs> I know that we're in a we're in a charged time, but that's not a, that's not an excuse to lose our senses. We have to be mm. more cunning, we have to be more clever, we have to be wiser and we have to be more potent than those systems that we are seeking to destroy. Uh, otherwise, we're going to take ourselves down with them and that's not what we need. So, that's something I just wanted to kind of put out there as a little meow meow. Mm. Thank you for putting that out there into the universe. I hope everybody hears that. Um, yeah, well, thank you both so much. This has been, this conversation has just been like pure, like I feel like energetic liberation medicine. And I just want to thank you both. And I'm really excited to share it with folks. Thank you, Thank love. you so much. Yeah. listening to the rise up good witch podcast if you enjoyed the show please rate and review in itunes and check out www.riseupgoodwitch.com for more information about tarot readings and the apothecary